Hi, this is Pastor Wilson with Renew Church OC. Thanks for joining our podcast. We're walking through the book of Luke, thinking about what it means to follow Jesus, to see the world the way he does, and to integrate his patterns into our life. I hope you enjoyed the sermon today. I also want to point you to the description section where you can find the church's website. We would love for you to visit our church and consider investing in our ministry. There's two other links. One is a podcast I do with a therapist at Renew Church, and we kick around issues like dating, mental health, and friendships. And lastly, there's a children's book series and a journal that I wrote with my wife and my mentor, and we'd love for you to look at those resources as well. Thank you so much for being a part of the Renew Church family, and I hope that you enjoyed the sermon today. God bless. All right, welcome everyone. We're skipping our breakout session today. Um, and Thanks, Victor. And then we're going to go into the message because we have a lot to get through. I told the staff it would be a 15-minute message, and of course it's 30, of course. <laughs> so I want to apologize. It's really amazing seeing all of you. And we played this video, which is just deja vu of today, because there's just so many hands that have created and put this church together. Um, thanks for not standing up, like <laughs> most of you, but we're grateful for you, and, we, and this church wouldn't be where it is without you. But what I really wanted to talk about today are honey badgers. And so <laughs> I went to Australia a few, weeks ba- a few years back, and I learned about these amazing creatures. They are phenomenal. They're just built to fight. So they have extremely thick skin, which are very difficult to penetrate. And they're known to even be able to uh, deflect arrows, like the arrow can't pass through them. Teeth and and fangs often don't pass through. But even when they do, the honey badger has a lot of skin on them. So when you're grabbing at them, if you can get a good grip on their skin, it often folds so that you're not able to penetrate the organs. It's like grabbing a kitten behind the neck. And because of that excess skin, when you grab the neck, they're able to fully turn around and still bite your face. And their jaws are super powerful. Their jaws are able to break the, the shell of a tortoise. Is that crazy? And then they have other weapons like their claws, but they can also attack you through smell. They're related to a skunk. They can turn their uh, anus inside out and eject a, a, a terrible smell like the skunk. So not only are they attacking your face with biting and clawing, they're attacking your nose. And very interesting, they can also attack your ears, your sense of hearing. They make the sound similar to a rattlesnake, which is terrifying in the animal kingdom. Because even if you kill a snake, if it bites you with this venom, you also die. So very few animals want to pick a fight with the rattlesnake, unless you're a honey badger. Because honey badgers can release antitoxins in order to fight off the venom of rattlesnakes. So a third of their diet are snakes. They'll get hit with the snake, and then they'll fall asleep and take a nap, and then the antitoxins release in their system. They wake up and they finish their meal. What an amazing creature. So that's why there was this uh, whole meme a few years ago where honey badgers don't care. So the next slide is um, a honey badger fighting off a lion, and then uh, three lions. So they look confused, right? Because 
like, what are you doing, little guy? But the honey badger's like, I can bully lions. And that's what I was made to do. Now, what I think, when I think about honey badger, I just think about how like, tragic it would be if it was scared. Can you imagine having all of these offensive and defensive weapons, but acting like a squirrel and just running around at every sign of danger or burrowing a hole because they're afraid to come out uh, and, and fight a predator? They, they know what their creator made them to do, and they're willing to stand up to anything because of all of the arsenal that they hold in their bodies. When I think about Christians, I wonder what animal comes to mind. I wonder if we've come from a Christian history that often retreats and separates itself from the world. I wonder if our expression of church is that we kind of hunker down and we, we build up this little commune or fort where we're not willing to step outside because we're scared, because we're afraid of being influenced by the world or being invaded by darkness. But then I look at Jesus and the way that he walked this earth and did ministry. I think about how so many Jews were afraid to touch the unclean or the leopards because they would become unclean. But when Jesus touched the leopards, they became clean. I think about how the tax collector was outside of the circle around Jesus and outside of their friends and family, but then Jesus walks towards him and invites himself inside the home of Matthew. I think about how all good Jews would walk around Samaria, but Jesus walked through it. And he walked towards a woman and invited her to be family with him. And when the disciples followed Jesus, they went to all those places, didn't they? They went to the graveyard to drive out the legion uh, who had possessed a man. They went to the home of tax collectors. They sat around with, with, um, with prostitutes. Jesus was someone who invaded darkness. And when you look at the next slide, we're, we're looking at Matthew chapter 16, 16 to 19. Uh, I preached this a few weeks ago, a very well-constructed sermon around my experience with Jeremy Lin. And then I saved the verse 18 for today. So remember, Jesus asked Peter, who do you say I am? And he says, you are the Messiah. That's a loaded word. The Messiah in the Old Testament was a conqueror, someone who would come and bring shalom, peace, as a society, in communities, in families, and even within ourselves. He would bring peace through ruling and reigning, through um, expanding his kingdom. And as Peter makes this confession of Jesus, Jesus then tells Peter who he is. When we see who God is, he reveals who we are. He says, you're no longer Simon, you'll be called Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. But then look at what the church is to do, because Jesus reveals that as well. I will build my church, and the gates of Haiti will not overcome it. When you think about two countries going to war, which we've seen a lot recently, or you think about invading a city, who is it that's behind the gates? Is it the defender or the conqueror? Is it the one who's invading or the one who's defending? In Jesus' view of the church, we are to be on the offense. And it's hell and the kingdom of darkness that is on the defense. 
And Jesus demonstrates this in his life over and over again as he conquers chaos and demons and sickness. I wonder if that's our posture as a church. If our posture is to go on offense and to um, be pressing against the gates of hell. And then in verse 19, it says, I give you the keys of the kingdom of God. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. There's a lot of mystery to this passage. But Jesus is saying that the kingdom of God, the gospel, entry and experience of his kingdom is given to the church. And we are to steward this in allowing other people to see and to experience his kingdom. And somehow the work that we're doing on earth is differentiated from those who don't know the Lord. That we get to do work that not only impacts the people and the physical environment around us, but is an echo, a shadow of the eternal, of God's kingdom. So I think about Royal Family Kids Camp, where we're able to be grandparents and older brothers and sisters and uncles and aunties to these kids who have been displaced from their families. But we're not just doing this for a week. We're actually showing them another family that Jesus has invited them into, an eternal family where the father is calling them sons and daughters and saying, you are mine. I think about the way that many of you enter into the healing perfection, whether it's a, a therapist or a doctor or a nurse or in uh, public health. And you're not only able to heal people's physical bodies and minds, but you're showing them that there's a greater healing of their whole person. And Dr. Ken, he shared on Sunday, on a Sunday a long time ago, that in, the, in a very complex surgery, where he feels maybe even a little stuck, he'll stop and say, God, would you give me vision over this person's body? You create it. You want to heal it. You're the great physician. And in those moments, he'll be able to direct um, the surgery in a way that can help this person. I think about those of you who are teachers or parents trying to help your child understand truth and help your child understand what is good, but you're pointing to an ultimate good. You're pointing to who God is beyond just teaching them a system of ethics. There's something in the way that we restrain evil and chaos and sickness that, that is being restrained as the kingdom of God comes on earth as it is in heaven. There's something in the way that we release wealth and provision and health that is releasing something eternal as well. And I believe that's what God called us to do when we first launched this church. That's all the Bible you get today. The rest of the service is really telling the story of Renew, our origin story, how we felt called to be honey badgers, and where we're going uh, in the next nine years of our church life. So we have this, um, the mission reaching our city. And then I thought about how before God called us to pastor the church, me and Nina, he called us to be missionaries to a city and to build a mission team there. Then to plant a church on top of the mission field he called us to. And so this is a little graphic. Justin Claude did this for me many years ago. The W is where the Wangs lived, our little apartment complex. This was one of the first mission fields he called us to when we entered into Fullerton. 
across the freeway is Cal State Fullerton, our second mission field. And then the church ended up not being planted across the street, but adjacent to our apartment complex, one wall away. So I'm talk about these first mission fields and then share with you the value that we hope to carry um, forward and not just from our past. So 95% of apartment residents are unchurched. Many of them are transient. If you live in an apartment complex, you have an amazing opportunity to reach a cross-section of your city and to reach people who are unchurched. Less than 5% feel like they have a friend in the apartment, so it's a very lonely place as well. But it gathered in our apartment complex of 650 units, people from every walk of life. So many different ethnic groups and nationalities were in our apartment complex. So many different life stages from college kids to families who had been there for 10 years, from uh, people who are in housing to those who are saving up for a down payment. I felt like I had the whole city in this little space. And so me and Nina went in as community planners. We did three events a month, ranging from 25 to 100 50 people, Nina worked, we worked like dogs, but we also saw the community come together. This is a, one of my favorite photos because um, a Latino grandma adopt, adopted us into her family and um, she would just make food for us. We didn't speak Spanish, she didn't speak English, but we felt her love. We got to hang out with them over Christmas, three generations, and they, she just really took care of us. The next slide is, um, we found Tony and Tani there. They came uh, to these events and became a part of our church family. They've made coffee for us ever since on Sundays. Ben Lee, Maurice, um, Vicky, we're all there, again, building a mission team to reach this apartment complex. And we have so many memories of serving food and coffee and uh, becoming friends. This is uh, Friendsgiving, so we were able to bring a bunch of international students together, many from the Middle East. They were so warm to us, uh, people from Iran and Saudi Arabia. When we knocked on their doors, they would almost immediately invite us in and, and eat their food. And so I remember one of the door knocks we did, this mom invited us in, and I ate a bunch of pastries from the Middle East, so much that my wife kicked me under the table. She does that when I talk or eat too much, right? So people are thankful for her. And, um, and she asked us, what do we do? And I said, oh, my wife's an occupational therapist. Very excited to share about Nina, because I knew she was Muslim. And then she said, what about you? What do you do? And I said, I'm a pastor, right? This is before COVID where you could fake cough and people didn't freak out. And, um, and she said, you know, on vacation, I went to a church in Europe and found so much peace there. It's illegal for me to become a Christian, go to church in Iran, but now that I'm in the U.S., is it okay if I go to your church? And her and her family came to our church for a few years. We got to see um, two Iranian sisters become baptized. And then in the next slide, Nina is uh, running a VBS. She's Dr. Molecule. <laughs> Very cute. And then uh, Grace is a part of the skit team. Our whole host team, again, put on this event as a mission team to the apartment complex. 35 kids from that apartment complex came to our VBS right next door and got to hear about Jesus. And I remember um, the trust that we had built in this community as we invited them to be a part of VBS. One of the kids that came, his dad came as well. His name is Saeed from 
uh, Saudi Arabia. He was doing an advanced degree at Cal State Fullerton. And he just sat in the back and watched Jesus resurrect from the dead four times in cartoon form. It was one of our stations. And I remember standing with him and, and him asking questions about God and the Christian faith. And I got to tell him about the resurrection of Christ. And then we had brunch a week before he left. And again, I got to share the gospel with him. It was us as a as a couple and as a community before we launched the church, learning to be a mission team to all of Fullerton. In the next slide, we have Cal State Fullerton, another missional hub for us. About 35% of students enter college going to church, and only 10% of students go to church after graduating college. We lose about 70% of churchgoers here. And I think when they move away from home, they also feel the separation from their parents in terms of values and uh, religious beliefs. And they're asking, is this something that I grew up with or something that I really believe? And so a lot of our work at, the Cal, at Cal State Fortin is to help people learn about Jesus for themselves, to for themselves own their faith. But there, it also presents a really cool opportunity where people from all the other religions and atheists and agnostics they're coming in separating from their parents as well and asking these questions sometimes for the first time. And so I got to meet Jonathan and Kristen. I was wandering around Cal State Fullerton looking for a ministry to partner with, and Jonathan brought me in with his beautiful blue eyes. <laughs> and he said, launch Epic with us, and I'll be your best friend. We'll do accountability for 15 years. Our families will go to Hawaii. And I said, yes. <laughs> A thousand times yes. <laughs> uh, this is me uh, tabling with crew when we first started. Epic wasn't around, but they, um, Jonathan and Kristen mentored me. They taught me how to see this campus as a mission field. They sent me an intern to work part-time. They gave me money. They helped me uh, build out a core team. And they were really just um, people that I followed. I followed Jonathan into his vision. He said, I hope that at graduation day, every student that shakes the hand of the president and takes a diploma, I could see him from the stands and say that they had an opportunity to hear about Jesus and to know someone who knows Jesus. A few years later, we launched Epic. And so this is College Kim. And uh, Kim was one of our first students. And it was really scary because I had like seven guys and just Kim. I was like, Kim, if you leave, we'll be a fraternity forever. <laughs> so I was like, please stay, which seems even, you know, a little bit more creepy. But I'm glad she stayed with us. And uh, I remember Liz coming that first year in the dormitory, keeping Kim company, leading us in worship. Katie and others joined along the way. And then year two, uh, Mitchell came, Zach, Corinne, Mitchell Tao. And then that's the left ear of Landon. Mitchell showing off his man bun. And we just had a wonderful time. We found Jeff and Jaina there. Um, there, were, there were others that became a part of our community, like Zach, uh, Corinne. And, so, and then some of them joined Epic staff for a little bit as well. So it was just an amazing time. And we, again, built another mission team for Cal State Fullerton. And that's really how I see parachurch ministry on campus, that God dropped a bunch of Christians there and we're to bring them together 
in order to develop them as disciples and missionaries for that campus. Sometimes we uh, hung out in dorms, did Bible studies, and, uh, and studied there, did games, um, reaching the whole dorm for the Lord. Other times we invited our friends for solarium. This is one of our, our, um, ev- our rooms that we use to do weekly meetings. And I remember it was in this room that I met Mitchell, or sorry, that I met Philip Chu for the first time. Where are you, Philip? Well, he's gone? Okay, good. Because I had to share a story that I, I didn't ask him for permission for. Can I share that story about your dad and the whole lawn thing? Yeah, okay, good. No pressure, no pressure. You can say no, you can say no. Um, so, anyways, I meet Philip. He walks into our, our meeting. He says, My name's Philip, and I'm from a cult. And I would like to invite other students into my cult. And I was like, Do I just, you know, cut him off and send him away? But God said, He's not a sheep. He's not a wolf, he's a sheep. He's a lost sheep. So we, we brought him in, and he pretty much had no religious background, except that once in a while, when, when Philip was bad at home, his dad would drive him to the nearest church, drop him off on the lot, and say, repent to God, and he would drive off. <laughs> so in the middle of a steeple of a, like, was it a, a Methodist church? He's just like, I'm sorry, God. I hope my dad picks me up. He has no other context for the Christian faith. Another time he got dropped off at FEC, and the dad's like, go confess your sin to a pastor. He's like, I hope I find a pastor. So anyways, uh, he, was, he was made for a cult life, but I got to pull him out. And then um, a, a year later, baptized Philip. And it was, it was awesome. Uh, during, that, during those years, Philip just had a lot of friendships, and he really leveraged those friendships to draw them into Epic and Renew. Maybe 20 people came to our Christian club through Philip. I got to baptize one of his friends um, that Philip shared the gospel with. And I, and I still go out uh, every fall and winter to Cal State Fullerton. I'm so grateful for seeing InterVarsity and soon crew and epic tabling there. Because next to our tables, the same cult that recruited Philip tables and invites students into a false gospel. And I just think about what it means for someone who's interested in the Lord to hear a false gospel, to feel controlled, and to leave fully abused. And then for us to walk out on that campus, talking to the same student, helping them find the Lord. So we saw that as a wonderful mission field as well. Lastly, we did um, a Fullerton Summer Project. Right before we launched the church, the summer prior, we invited about 30 students to do a three-week summer project with us to come to the city we were going to plant a church in and to see it again as a mission field and to see ourselves as a mission team trying to wrap our arms around the city to understand its needs. At the time, in the riverbed, there was a large homeless encampment. And so we went there a few times to hand out socks, to listen to stories, uh, to give food, and to be um, just, just to understand, you know, what it's like to live in that, in that space. Uh, we had, took a photo under the bridge, which looks cool. And then uh, we also went with Solidarity to the Garnett District. They have a great ministry as well. And we got to do a day uh, camp for their kiddos. 
And uh, that's Grace and Philip leading that camp, Katie. And then we took out their youth to a bonfire, again, hearing about the challenges of, um, of, of that neighborhood being a youth. Here's some uh, baby photos of Mitchell, Irwin, and Ben. And then we lost the church. And I think a huge value of our church is to be missional. We, we say that all the time, that we want to be on mission with Jesus. And what that means is that we look at our rhythm of discipleship, of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, and, and we get stuff. We get that we have to read God's word. We build it into our rhythms of Sunday. We build prayer and worship and fellowship into our weekly rhythms. But sometimes this rhythm of serving the Lord and building out his kingdom, of stepping out of our comfort zone and being with people who might feel marginalized, that's not built into our rhythm of a disciple. And I, and I want that. I want that to define what it means to follow Jesus for us. I want missional rhythms to be a part of how we do community as a church, that the same way we gather for fellowship in homes, the same way we come together over food or play sports together, we would come together to um, reach out to those around us. So when we started the church, all of our small groups actually had a missional like uh, agenda. We wrapped our small groups around homelessness and laundry love and special needs. And then as we grew out of that, we partnered OC United, and we're so grateful for them. Amy is a visionary leader. She, she has this amazing way of speaking and strategy and passion that I've just never seen. And I just remember so many moments where she was a voice for someone that I didn't have access to, but I felt their story. And so we just sent people to OC United because of their leadership. And um, before 2020, we had this list of young adults who would go out weekly to mentor, to take care of kids who have suffered domestic violence, to be a part of Thrive, their um, adult um, aged out foster uh, ministry. I got to do that as well. And we saw the church start to build us out this rhythm of living missionally as a part of their discipleship. And then 2020 hit. Uh, I don't know if you remember that. It was kind of a non-event year. But um, all of us, you know, bunkered down. In some ways, it actually made our church a lot stronger. We became united. We, we leaned on each other really hard. We spent a lot of time in silence and solitude over Zoom. And then when we came out of that, but it, it, it just halted. Um, it was like this brick wall appeared in front of all of us, especially in terms of living missionally. And then when we started up again in 2021, mid-year, we had a lot of atrophy. We were learning how to set up chairs again and be comfortable around other humans and, uh, and put together a worship team in small groups. And then when we moved to Brea, we were so blessed to see our family just expand not just with people who wanted to observe our church or to be spectators or fans, but people who felt called into our family. So many of you walked in wanting to uh, contribute and build out this church. But during this time also, we just felt like we were trying to catch up with what God was doing, laying out small group after small group, going into two services. But the whole time, I'm thinking about what it meant to um, live missionally. I have a few other slides that I'm going to skip, but it's because I forgot about them. But we did a special needs ministry, Dr. Ken, Chrissy, and Danielle. 
And this was one of my favorite events. They did monthly. And uh, one, of the, <laughs> sorry, one of the gals, she wanted to be uh, a fashion designer. So we put this whole thing together for her. Um, so that was really cool. 20 people ran a room for one person. I think it showed a lot of our hearts. Uh, okay, so this was the site I wanted to go to. Um, I remember going into the summer of this year, Jimmy said, every sermon you preach pretty much ended with go to RFKC. <laughs> you know, I pushed RFKC so hard. And, um, and I'm so grateful for Matt and Deanna doing that with me. They went visited every small group, giving vision to it. So many of our college kids were excited about it. And, we, and I prayed that 40 people would go for a whole week. And we got 37. So three people disobeyed the Lord. Um, <laughs> 24 of you guys went out for a whole day for everyone's birthday. About 20 plus of us served monthly at the, at the club every month, mentoring kids who had been in the foster system. And, and I pushed because I didn't want us to grow bigger, have more resource, or be stronger for us. I wanted to remind us that we wanted to be healthy and strong and resource for the city. And, this, and RFKC became that catalyst for us. And I hope that this Sunday would be that as well. As you hear about all of these opportunities that OC United has for us to reach into the city, these, were, these opportunities were gifted and entrusted to us. If you were a part of Amy's RFKC's training, our worldview now is that everyone's a predator right, until proven otherwise, and um, it's this whole, whole thing, and, um, and I know what it means to Amy and her staff to invite us into relationship with the people that they have cultivated trust with for years. I, I, I feel the weight of that and the responsibility and the pr privilege of it. So as we go upstairs to hear about these different opportunities, here are some questions that I hope you'll hold in front of you. How can I, as a follower of Jesus, build out a rhythm of missional living in my life? The way I enter rhythmically into God's word and worship, into fellowship, what does that look like for me to do this um, serving the city around me? Secondly, how can our families serve together? Kristen and I often brainstorm ways in which our families can stay together as we serve the community because I just think that um, the way that we raise our kids, we do so many things for their good, right? Whether it's piano or violin or soccer or, or, or school, we want them to grow and, and be great people and make a difference in the world. And I, and I wonder what what living missionally as a family will do for your kids. I wonder how it will turn them from inward to outward, how it will give them different perspective in life, how it will show them that life isn't just about them, that our family isn't just about us, how it will grow their character and integrity and generosity. I really believe that this is something I hope I want our families uh, to move into, that as our youth start going to RFKC, would you go with them? It's one of the most amazing discipleship opportunities that, um, that I could think of. I wonder how our small groups can own also being a mission team, maybe monthly, maybe quarterly, but coming together as a group and just saying, hey, can we do something for the city together? Can we pull our gifts and talents and time 
and serve with OC United or, serve, or walk into a space that we're unfamiliar with and look for a way to bridge this divide. And lastly, I wonder how our occupations can serve the city. In this room, there's amazing gifts and talents. And what does it look like to have a theology that says that my gifts are to expand his kingdom in healing, in justice, in creativity, and, and to do this not only as a way of making a living, but serving people who can't afford the skill that I have in building out God's kingdom for their lives. I'm going to close this with one last story. Um, me and Ernest, we got to serve together at RFKC Club just a month ago, and we're in the same little pod. Um, and so uh, if you don't know, we were best men for each other and have been close for a long time. <clears throat> so it's an honor to serve with him and his wife at RFKC. We're sitting around in a circle, and the, the question to the kids and counselors is, what's something that you want us to know about you? And so Z, the, the kid that I was a counselor for, he said, he said that I really love anime, I enjoy playing soccer, and then he whispered, I wasn't meant to be here. And he said it again, I wasn't meant to be here. And, then, and in the same moment, Ernest said, we want you here. And I said, God wants you here. That's not a small moment. That's a moment where we're pushing against one of the darkest lies of Satan in this kid and desiring truth, a, a real truth to permeate his heart. It was a moment for this child, but it was also a really sweet moment for me and Ernest. You know, I think about other times we got to serve together growing up. Maybe 20, 25 years ago, we served at a homeless shelter, Union Rescue Mission in downtown LA. Week after week, we would go and do uh, the, the kitchen line. And I remember hanging out with this guy named Robert with him, uh, who used to play in the minor leagues, uh, got caught in substance abuse. And we just, like, we just like befriended Robert. We really liked him. And we, we continued to hang out with him and, and serve other people with him. And, and I think what, what makes my relationship with Ernest special or Jonathan, or Mark, or Ben, who came uh, to Soup Kitchen all those years ago, and all the way through these 20 years, is that I look back at our friendship, and, and I can see how the kingdom of God pushed forward because we were friends. Like, our friendship moved God's kingdom forward. My friendship with so many of you moved God's kingdom forward when we look back three years, five years, and 10 years. And I hope that as you celebrate your first year at Renew, your first day, or your, or your ninth year, that you'll be able to look back at your time here and say that the friendships we built, the community that we invested into, the person next to me, when I see our friendship and the, and the road that we travel together, I see us pushing against darkness, and I see God's kingdom expanding. Thanks so much for joining us today. We're really grateful that you'd spend time listening to the sermon series. And we also wanted to point you to a few other resources. My wife and I wrote a children's book collection, Helping Kids 
bridge their faith with God's calling in their life as a businessman, as a doctor or nurse, and as a creative. Secondly, we wrote an adulting journal, which helps young adults think through this transition into adulthood, whether it's transitions in friendship, family, faith, or calling. And lastly, I want to point to a podcast that myself and another church member, Roy Kim, who's a therapist, co-host together. It's called The Same Boat. We talk about relationships. We just finished um, a series on dating. We think back to an English ministry church, and we just tackle all kinds of topics that are relevant to our life. I hope that uh, those resources enrich your life as well. And lastly, if you're looking to partner with us, on our website, we have a give section. You could give to our general fund and continue to serve our church through, um, through partnering with us financially. But if you scroll down, we have quite a few local missionaries that have called Renew Home. If you read their bio, there's also a section to give to each one of our local missionaries. We hope that all of them would be fully funded going into this year. God bless you. Thanks so much for being with us and uh, hope to hear, hope to uh, have you join us again.